Welcome to the Property Voice Podcast, helping you to navigate safely through the world of property investing. Get the lowdown and updates, insights and outcomes on all matters property with a splash of entertainment along the way. The Property Voice, a voice to trust among the crowd. Now, let's get started with your host, Richard Brown. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown and as always it's a pleasure to have you join us. We've got something a little bit different for you in today's show which I'll let Kazza explain a little bit more about in in a second. But just before I do I should point out that we will be recording this episode before the general election result is known and so it is possible that some of what is shared today might change. It might as a matter of detail, I have to say, but in all likelihood, not as a matter of principle. So just a little caveat there that um, something drastic might happen basically in a week, which could throw all this out the window. But as I mentioned, principle should remain. So Kaza, I hope you're well. And why don't you share with the listeners what they can expect from this week's show? Hi, Richard. I am really well, thank you. Although I am just a little disappointed in one respect, to be completely honest with you. I know that you had an interview with Damien Fogg for today's show and I didn't get to ask him any questions, but I guess I will just have to get over it. It just unsettled my bits and bites a little that's all. Anyway, coming up in today's show we will be talking about property lettings and management in the property chatter segment. I know you have some good tips and best practice to share yourself Richard but you also have that interview with Damien as part of that too, and no I'm not jealous one little bit. Your voice this week will be an extract of something of a moan, or a rant even, from a fairly disgruntled investor who posted a comment on our website about surveyors. So, it's probably a good job Damien didn't get to hear about that when you two spoke although I would have liked to have posed that particular question to him myself. Finally, we have the shout-out and we have a resource that is right on topic to share this week. So, less from me, I think I'm okay and recalibrated now, so let's get on with the show then, shall we? Okay, so let's get on with this week's featured topic with Property Chatter. Thank you for that introduction, Kaza. I'll um, I'll have to see if we can get you involved in a future interview then, if that, if that's okay. Um, now, as Kaza has alluded to, we we have a guest appearance from what I call a subject matter expert this week, as Damien Fogg is a self-managing landlord, among other things, as he will explain in the interview, and he shares his top tips with us in a quick-fire Q and A interview segment. This is to complement my own position as an outsourced landlord investor, so you're going to get a bit of a balance there. So on to the topic of lettings and management. This is both wide-ranging and at times can also be controversial. There are literally hundreds of rules, responsibilities and areas of compliance for landlords and others involved in the private rental sector. And there is no room for amateurism or complacency now, I have to say. Similarly, a rented property brings together landlords and tenants, of course, who at times have differing views, needs, interests and perspectives. And at times this is fueled by some, let's just say, partisan interest and lobby groups that sometimes put us at odds with each other when when really there's no need, I have to say. 
Now, just for the record, whilst there are indeed some rogue agents and some rogue landlords operating in the private rented sector, they they are you know very much a minority, and the substantial majority you know that are operating are decent, accommodating, and compliant with the law. And similarly, there are both decent and not so decent tenants out there too. So you know it's the same on both sides, and uh, we should be, should be careful about potentially how the media and, and other groups can uh, try and put us at odds with each other when actually most of us get on just fine. So my aim today is to share some some best practices that we can adopt and highlight some of the greatest areas of contention and port, point, sorry point out the costliest mistakes and also finally to direct you to some additional resources for more information on what is quite a broad topic as I mentioned. Now if you happen to be following along in my book The Property Investor Toolkit today's episode is aligned to section 5 but as always I intend to make the content different and so valuable in its own right whichever form you choose to follow. I plan to run through the following headlines here in this segment. My top 10 lettings and management best practice tips the top five areas of contention between landlords and tenants and the five most costly mistakes of poor lettings and management practice. So it's something of a of a chart show today if you like with the top ten, the top five and the top five. Now I'm going to be moving at quite a pace because I want to squeeze in the uh, enough time to have the interview with Damien. So um, I won't be able to do this full justice so I can give you the list and then it's potentially for further discussion or exploration afterwards. But let's start with my top 10 lettings and management best practice tips. Hmm, should have thought if I catch your headline or one easier to say maybe. So the first thing on the list, number one, accreditation or enlisting the support of a reputable agent. Now I've, I've got a strong view on this if you've if you've followed me for any time you know that um, what I recommend for new or inexperienced um, landlords and by that I mean less than than three properties owned is to use um, the services of a good reputable letting agent and that means you know they're both a member of the of an industry trade body and a redress scheme alternatively uh, if you're choosing to self-manage um, and in fact also even if you're using an agent to consider this point is to get accredited by one of the main landlord associations so the National Landlord Association or the Residential Landlord Association are too unfamiliar with the operator accreditation schemes that's very good advice I think to start with number two be legally aware and compliant <laughs> it sounds obvious doesn't it but um, the, the, according to some commentators there are literally hundreds of different rules regulations and, and other matters for a landlord to comply with these days and so we we do need to become familiar with what our responsibilities are and there's a distinction I want to make here between responsibility and accountability and that's important to note now we can retain responsibility ourselves or indeed we can delegate this to other people by say giving authority for others to act on our behalf uh, such as letting agents say um, you know if we give instructions to undertake maintenance or find a tenant and that sort of thing we're delegating responsibility however what we can never delegate is our accountability um, le especially legally and so we, we should always remember that point so even if we do hand over a task to somebody else to perform on our, on our behalf we never fully absolve ourselves from the accountability and potential consequences. Let me give you an example. So um, 
for example, if we if if we appoint an agent to uh, find a tenant for us, and then after after letting the property, they fail to issue prescribed information in the correct form and in the correct time, it's going to be us as landlords who are going to face the penalties and the consequences of them doing so, and this means that we we can't you know simply abdicate our responsibility. We always need to retain the ultimate authority and accountability for our properties and how tenants are treated. So just keep that in mind. Um, we need to manage the agent, if you like, to make sure that they're managing things on our behalf in that example. Number three, we should always undertake proper due diligence and checks. Now, if you've heard me in previous episodes, you know I like this topic. So uh, I have mentioned it before, and, and with uh, following on from the point of responsibility and accountability, it obviously makes sense that we undertake proper checks. And so particularly if we're dealing with uh, letting agents or or tradespeople, we need to do proper and adequate research on due diligence, as I mentioned in a previous episode. However, we also need to know who we're letting into our properties, and that means undertaking proper tenant references, affordability, and uh, and even potentially lifestyle checks on, on potential tenants as well. Something else to keep in mind. Number four, we should keep proper records and document everything properly. HMRC want their tax payments, so uh, we need to be declaring our rental income to them. The courts will require, require evidence of tenancy agreements and, and rental receipts if necessary if we need to go for claiming arrears or, or evictions, for example. And of course, tenants need to know exactly where they stand and what is expected of them. So this basically boils down to just documenting things clearly and properly in writing and being able to evidence um, what, both what we've said and also our income and expenditure uh, if asked to do so by the authorities. Number five, keep our properties safe, decent and habitable. Now, there's a, if obviously a biblical term here, I'll quote, which is do unto others as we would have done unto us. Now, I'm not necessarily saying we get all religious, but, you know, put it a different way or in other words, if we were renting a property ourselves, how would we feel if it was damp or no heating or hot water or even an infect, uh, <laughs> insect infestation, for example? Yeah, this is just such an obvious point to make, and, and yet some landlords try and get away with providing, you know, substandard or indecent accommodation, or, or failing to respond in a timely manner to repairs and maintenance issues. Please, please don't be one of those types, will you? Number six, be commercially minded. So that means things like budgeting for repairs and maintenance and updates in a, in a planned fashion. Some things will be responsive, other things need to be planned in and, and routine, and bigger items need to be, you know, planned, you know, a, y a year or several years in advance even, like a roof replacement, for example. Um, take out adequate insurance. I'll come on to that point later on, but I'll just make it known now. Um, stay on top of the rents and arrears. Sounds obvious, but a lot of people don't. <laughs> and uh, and keep voids to a minimum. Now I've um, I've got the eight percent versus the ninety five percent rule here to share with you. And and basically what that means is if um, if you can relet a property or or let a property for ninety five percent of the market rent, that's going to be a whole lot better than having a one month void. A one-month void will actually cost 8% of the annual rent. So letting at 95% only 
in effect loses 5% versus a one-month void at 8%. And of course a void is an unknown. It could actually extend beyond the one month and of course increase that 8% figure. So something very much to keep in mind there. Next up, it's get good at marketing. Now, letting and reletting is, in fact, a marketing exercise. So we need to understand our market, our target tenant, the pricing or the rents that are um, achievable in the area, the competition that we're faced with, and customer retention approaches, as with any marketing plan. Point eight, treat tenants as people and property as assets. Tenants deserve to be treated with dignity and respect, just as we would, and so always remember that. And our properties could last for decades and can in fact turn into our pensions, so it makes sense just to look after them really and treat them as assets. Point nine, communicate well. Simple, clear, polite, early and followed up, or in other words, evidenced in writing always works best here. Number 10, the last one, run the property or properties as a business. And this is um, this is a, a catch-all, really. And if we adopt a professional and business-like approach, we should find that many of the former points fall into place quite easily. If we understand the basics of running a business and apply these to our property investments, you know, therefore, it's going to be a lot easier. And, and everything I've said above will just actually make perfect sense. So running as a business. Okay, so we've had one chart, <laughs> one chart completed, a top 10, and now we're going to go into a couple of shorter ones, starting with the top five areas of contention between landlords and tenants. And uh, coming in at number one, we've got rental arrears. And um, all I would say is uh, there's a difference between can't pay and won't pay. Um, can't pay is um, is where perhaps a little bit of understanding and empathy is required to manage with and work with a tenant to to get things back on track won't pay is obviously different and that's probably going to be best served by you know taking action quite quickly to either enforce payments or in fact lead to eviction unfortunately but there's a there's a balance to be struck there and of course it's all about communication and understanding what the real reason is Number two, return of deposits. Yep, um, this always re results in uh, disharmony potentially between tenants and landlords. And, um, and really, it's actually based on uh, having incorrect written expectations at the start. So the remedy is actually quite straightforward, quite simple, is to have everything clearly written out right from the beginning and then there can be no confusion later on. Probably related, to be honest, at number three is damage. Uh, in the property versus fair wear and tear. Now, as landlords, we often get confused with what the difference is. So, a worn carpet is not damage, um, but you know, having uh, uh, marks and things on the walls which uh, go beyond natural scuffs, it probably is. So, understanding what the difference is is going to you know minimise the number of disputes and um, is going to you know lessen the, the sort of uh, the impact on our pockets as well in, in many cases so it's our responsibility to understand the difference as well as the tenants number four is cleaning now uh, I've made a note to myself that particularly with regard to carpets and ovens which always seem to be a bone of contention so you know that's all about expectations and standards uh, and again having clearly written uh, understanding right from the beginning now if we let a property that's been professionally cleaned 
I mean professionally, including the oven, right at the outset, and we say that the property needs to be returned back to us in the same condition, and define that means cleaning the carpets and cleaning the oven and having it professionally cleaned, then there can be no real dispute later on. There might be some, some somebody might forget, a tenant might forget, but you know it minimizes disputes. Number five is pets. Now, um, it really all uh, comes down to permission. Some people um, have found themselves with a pet that they've not sought permission to have. I've had that myself a couple of times now with pets appearing um, in properties without permission. Um, but also potentially leads on to some of the other uh, consequences I've mentioned above, which is damage or cleaning issues. So there's, there's the top five, if you like, in terms of the bones of contention. Oh, bones of contention and pets. Just realize what I've said. <laughs> okay, we better move on. So yeah, moving on, we've got the uh, the top five costliest mistakes we can make with respect to lettings and management. There are other costly mistakes, but specifically lettings and management. And um, number one, we've got in inadequate insurance. And, um, you know, we need to have a specific landlord's insurance policy. It needs to cover all risks, make sure that the insured value of the property is correct. There's a public liability. It's really important to have that, the sufficient you know, cover in that respect. And then, you know, landlord's contents is often overlooked. And even if we're letting unfurnished, we still have contents. So the boiler is an example of that, for example. So if there's damage to the boiler or something in that respect, then the content side of it could cover that. And I've kind of touched on a phrase there, which is damage, malicious damage, as it's called. A very good policy will have malicious damage. Um, cover within it because um, if a tenant uh, steals all the copper pipes uh, when they leave and you can't trace them unfortunately you're not going to be able to claim on the insurance unless you've got malicious damage. Number two is uh, poor a poor maintenance program. And I kind of alluded to it before but you know essentially not maintaining a property just simply devalues the asset and and it's just going to it's just going to pile up and make the problem worse over time so it's best to have a program in place and take this point very seriously. Next up, number three, inadequate reference checks and due diligence on agents. Now this, um, you know, I kind of harped on about it a little bit in previous episodes earlier on today as well, but it can lead to, if we don't take proper checks, it can lead to issues of fraud or corruption or, you know, having a cannabis factory potentially in the property and uh, and some wider issues as well. So proper checks at the start and, and uh, inspections throughout always make a lot of sense. Number four, voids and arrears. Now, um, as I mentioned with my 8% versus 95% rule, a one-month void will cost us 8% of the annual rent. So it obviously makes sense to minimize that. And similarly, not keeping on top of arrears, taking note of my can't pay versus won't pay rule, you know, can, can help us to manage that in the best way. But having, having unpaid rent in whatever form just basically wipes out our cash flow and our profits very, very easily. Number five, incorrectly issued paperwork. Now, uh, what really springs to mind here is, um, you know, I think I've touched on it earlier with prescribed information. If, uh, if, for example, we don't issue correctly completed prescribed information within 30 days of a tenancy, it can result in a fine. And, uh, and even it can, it can result in us not being able to uh, enforce an eviction notice if we want to go to court. So the consequences of, of failing to do that are very, um, very significant, I have to say. So there's my uh, my charts for today. Um, next up, let's let's just uh, have a quick listen to that interview I mentioned with Damien Fogg because he's got a different perspective as a self-managing landlord. Mm -hmm.
Okay, so I'm very pleased to have Damien Fogg here with me today, and he's kindly agreed to be the first guest in, in what might catch on to be a, as a subject matter expert, who's, who's kindly agreed to be my guinea pig with a, a quick fire Q&A spot. As I mentioned previously, I don't intend to make this show an interview-based show, but now and again it just makes sense to get somebody else's take on a subject. And so as an investor that likes to outsource rather than self-manage my own properties, I've decided to quiz Damien for his ideas, tips and insights as a self-managing landlord investor. So um, as we're talking about lettings and management, Damien, uh, thank you so much for joining me. Not a problem. Great. And are you ready for some quick-fire questions then, remembering that we're only looking for, you know, pro probably a rapid one or two sentences in reply. Is that okay with you? I'll do my best to be quick-fire, but I promise nothing. <laughs> Let's see how we get on. Okay, fair enough. So first of all, Damien, tell us a little bit about what your experience is as a self-managing landlord and uh, your wider experience in property generally. Give us a sense of scale and time, if you don't mind. Okay, well, I'm a chartered building surveyor, um, landlord and developer, so I've been investing in property for probably over a decade now, and as part of that, managing properties for around 10 years. The number of properties probably varied along those lines, but I think at the peak it was around 800 properties at one point. I currently self-manage all of my own portfolio, but still use agents for the tenant find process. Wow. Okay. So it sounds like I've got the right guy to answer these questions then. So <laughs> thanks for that. Um, what would you say are your top one or two tips to a, a new or a fairly new landlord investor, um, specifically relating to lettings and or management? I think the top tips for someone new to self-managing would probably be to go and get yourself educated on what your responsibilities are, what the law insists you do, etc. Even for a self-managing landlord, though, you can still outsource. So if you don't want to be involved in, say, the viewings or find a tenant, a bit like myself, you can go and get an agent to do that. If you don't want to do inspections, get someone else to. If you don't want to go through the evic eviction process yourself, you can just get a firm of solicitors to manage that for part for you. So I've found, personally, it works out cheaper to pay for these one-off items as and when required rather than paying an agent sort of a drip feed amount each month for potentially not doing any work the vast majority of the time. I'd say probably my most important tip though would be to communicate. I think it's an absolute must. I think if a tenant raises an issue of any kind, get back to them. Whether it's just a holding message to say, yeah, I'm gonna get it sorted by this date, just let them know. I think anybody feeling ignored or like they're being forgotten about, it can just increase a problem that could have been very easily sorted and it just escalates then and can potentially cause bigger issues down the line. But kind of a related tip to that one is it's very easy for emails and texts to get misread and misinterpreted. So I think if there is any potential contentious issues, maybe just do it over the phone, but always follow that up in writing just to cover yourself. Okay, brilliant. So um, quite a few tips there, really, but mix and match, communicate. And um, the thing that one of the first things you said was education, which brings me to my next question, really. Um, what, would, what are your views on how best a self-managing landlord can, can make sure they're aware of their responsibilities and stay within the law? I think the easiest thing to do is probably join a trade body. So the three big ones, I think, the National Landlords Association, the Residential Landlords Association, and the Guild of Residential Landlords. You can join them for around five, ten pounds a month, something like that, and you can get a lot of useful information. And they've usually got a sort of an FAQs or a contact number where you can get specific advice just for yourself. The other good place to go, 
the internet. Um, the government have got a very handy website. Uh, I think if you just search for private renting there, it's full of all the important basic facts, but it's very useful and it does give you other links onto other sites that can go into a bit more detail. And then a tip that served me quite well over the years, it's go where the tenants are going to be sent themselves. So look at the information from the tenant's perspective. So if there is ever an issue, your tenants are likely to be directed to somewhere like, say, shelter. So make sure you know what information they're being given and make sure you're doing everything you're supposed to be doing and not falling far of any laws or best practices. And you'll find all that information out on shelter. Oh, it's a really good idea to put yourself in their shoes, as it were, and uh, see things from their perspective. I like that tip. And so, um, moving on, what would you say would be the biggest potential pitfall or, or, or warning for a relatively inexperienced landlord investor? I think probably the biggest pitfall is just getting a bit too personally and emotionally involved in the whole process. So that starts way back in the beginning, whether it's decorating the property for the wrong target tenant type or just doing it to your own taste and even your own standard. And then maybe even taking it personally when a tenant stops paying and you start getting a bit emotional then. I think it's very important to just keep it professional and courteous. Your job at the end of the day, along with a couple of other things, but is just to provide someone with a good home that they can call their own and then just leave them alone. Their job, on the other hand, is to pay you for that service. So as soon as one of you stops holding up your end of the bargain, that's when it's time to just end the arrangement. You don't owe them any favours, they don't owe you any, and in the vast majority of cases they won't give you any favours. So it does make me sound a little bit callous, but it is at the end of the day a business that we're involved in. There's plenty of room to be nice to people and be professional, but I think letting people start to break some of the rules of that contract, it just doesn't make good business sense. Yeah, I agree with you. Less emotion, more professional, more business-like seems to be the summary. Good point. Um, Okay, a little bit of a different uh, question perhaps, but what's the funniest or the strangest experience you, you've had with a tenant or a property? The funniest one for me was uh, doing an inspection on a property, it was one of my own, and finding that the tenant had completely replaced an entire kitchen to a much higher standard than the one I'd already put in there, simply because they decided they were going to stay there forever and they wanted a better kitchen. So that was a nice surprise for me. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say... Probably the strangest one, though, would be being asked by a tenant to meet them in a location that wasn't their flat, and there was nothing dodgy going on, uh, but she just wanted to let me know that she'd vacated the property about two, two and a half months early, because it had a poltergeist. A poltergeist? She, a poltergeist. <laughs> she, was, she was more than happy to keep on paying the rent, but she just wanted to meet me somewhere that wasn't the flat to warn me about the poltergeist and tell me to not do any viewings there. I wasn't 100% sure quite how to react to that one, so I think that was probably the strangest ones. I should, should ask, did you see it? I never went to the property in the end, but nobody <laughs> else who did go from, this was when I was working in the agency, no one else ever saw anything or claimed to have seen anything, but it was very nice, I thought, of yeah. the tenant, thinking of me, she didn't want me to get, yeah. uh, well, what do what the poltergeists do to people? Scare them, I think. <laughs> well, she didn't want me to get scared then, so I thought that was very nice of her. Yeah, very nice indeed. Well, that's the first for me, I have to say. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's sort of get back to reality a little bit. And, you know, in terms of keeping on top of things, as it were, like uh, your rent receipts and, and maintenance and compliance issues, that, you know, that sort of thing. Do you have any systems that you use or you'd recommend uh, landlords should use or have in place? Yeah, Outlook and Excel. 
Simple as that. You wanted you wanted quick answers. You're not going to get much quicker. Yeah, <laughs> it, it does it all. One one's a calendar and reminder system, and the other one's a log, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. So I use Outlook for the diary setting to set reminders for things like CP12s and the gas safeties and any inspections, things like that. But I also use it as a document store. So for the ASTs, any communication we were talking about earlier, I keep it saved in an Outlook folder. And then Excel, I just use that to keep on top of all the rents and any deductions. So each property. I have has its own file and then that feeds back into sort of a master file that is updated by them all and it just means once a month or once every couple of weeks you go onto the banking make sure everything's been paid that should have been paid and the whole thing is then just consolidated and it's a nice simple way of keeping on top of it I'd probably say that combination is good to manage anywhere up to about 100 200 properties after that you're probably going to see some benefit to paying for a completely bespoke system where it's all just in the one place but yeah. I've never found it to be really even with 800 properties under management we probably could have done it with Excel and Outlook without too much of a hardship to be honest so keep it simple use the uh, everyday systems that we're already common with uh, sorry familiar with Very exactly good. everyone knows how to use them so yeah. why reinvent the wheel so last question, you know, I've obviously put you in a bit of a spot and I've just po posed a few questions at you in a quickfire way. Um, tell, tell us a little bit more about how we can find out more about you or, or connect with you in some way and some of the things that you've got going on. Again, quickfire answer. Okay, you're obsessed with quickfire today. Um, yes. I've got my own podcast over at the Property Investor Podcast, so people can search on iTunes for that. It's it's basically my random musings as well as my co-host Anna Harper and we get other investors on so people can get tips and lessons learned from experienced investors hopefully avoiding some of the mistakes themselves or if you prefer reading I've got my own blog over at buytoletstrategy.com so people can reach out and get in touch through that if they want. Fantastic I'll, I'll link to those uh, those items in the show notes so people can find you quite easily. But Damien, I, I guess, you know, thanks so much. I know I'll put you on the spot and uh, we, we rattled through that. Um, and I really do appreciate you being my guinea pig in this first of what might be a repeatable segment in the show. But really appreciate your insights there. Very valuable to me. Not a problem. Love what we're doing, Richard. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, Damien. All the best. So hopefully that will have given you some additional insights in, uh, and it was it was noticeable actually how similar some of our advice was. We we did record things uh, separately and make notes separately. So despite having different approaches to managing our properties as an outsourced uh, investor or a self-managing investor, we had some common approaches. And uh, I guess it boils down to running our investments as businesses and accepting that we have responsibilities to adhere to. So um, Damien did mention uh, off air, if you like, after the interview, that he, he does in fact always recommend that a brand new first time landlord investor does use an agent the first time around. And he clarified that as being for the first property and the first tenancy. So I think that the reason for that is that it gives the landlord investor time to to get uh, accredited and uh, and to learn the ropes, as it were. So. First time out, get an agent. But after that, I think you can probably gather where his preferences lie in terms of, uh, of self-managing or otherwise. Now, personally, I've, I've got a different take as I, uh, as I value my time and also I want a more hands-off or, or passive approach to my own investing. 
So, for example, I was uh, I was literally chasing crocodiles around the Amazon a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I had literally no communications via, via uh, internet or telephone whilst I was over, over in that region, and it, it just would have been, well, I think, impossible to uh, have been a self-managing agent um, in that in those uh, situations. Now, nothing did actually happen that required my attention, but what if it did? And there have been issues which have needed to be attended to quite quickly. And I'm absolutely sure that we can put fallbacks and backups and outsource part things and this sort of thing. But for me personally, it's not the way I want to manage my portfolio. But uh, I'm not going to hold it against anybody who sees it differently. I know a lot of you do. It's always going to be a subject that uh, divides opinion. And I don't really mind which route you, you take, actually. I think what is important is to take it seriously, whichever route is follow, um, adopted, and to follow the best practices that I've mentioned uh, in this episode, in fact. So that all said, it would be great to get your views on the subject of self-managing versus outsource management. So, so let's hear them. You know, pop over to the website and drop some comments into the into the uh, into the blog post for the show notes for today. But right now, let's move on with Kaza and your voice. Up next is your voice. It's all about you and your property world. We have another five-star listener review to share now, Richard. This time from Long John, who says. Another quality resource from Richard Brown. I love the format of the podcast and really look forward to every episode. This podcast is slightly different from all the other property-related podcasts and it's all the better for it. Keep up the good work. Hey Long John, you have probably just made Richard's day with that name check, so I am sure he will be pleased to hear that. Please do keep those reviews coming in, we love to hear of your enjoyment of the show and get feedback. I also wanted to share with you a sad tale from one of our blog readers, Keith Parsons. To say he was unhappy with the experience he had with several surveyors is possibly an understatement. However, at least he contained his rage sufficiently to get through the moderator. In a nutshell. He sold his property for £725,000, only to have a lender survey a valuation of £625,000, therefore collapsing the sale. He then sold for £670,000 and again the valuation came in at £550,000 this time. It wouldn't be so bad had two local agents and even the BBC's Escape to the Country program not valued it between £725,000 and £750,000 between them. Keith is under offer again at £655,000 so let's see how the valuation comes out this time. It is worth taking a look at Keith's comment and so... We will link to the post in the show notes but Keith, if it's any consolation, we feel for you. Good luck in persuading the surveyor this time around, do keep us posted. Thanks to Long John and Keith Parsons for contributing to this week's show. Who will it be next time I wonder? And now, where you can go for more great resources, with the shout out. So today's shout-out resource has to be the recently introduced um, and uh, released private rented sector code of practice, 
which is uh, obviously relevant to today's show, uh, extremely relevant in fact, but it's a, it's a cross-stakeholder collaboration of both mandatory, or in other words must-haves, and ideal, or nice-to-haves, practices for us to adhere to as landlord investors. So check it out and just make sure you're aware of what exactly is expected of us. Now it is quite a long and weighty document, um, but it's quite comprehensive and, and a very useful guide. So we've had a bit of an action-packed week this week. We've obviously had my two charts, or sorry, three charts, and we've had the interview with Damien as well. So uh, I wanted to have that uh, subject matter expert quick-fire Q&A segment. And hopefully you like that because it's something I'm looking to maybe replicate. So without necessarily going to have full-on lengthy interviews, I think now and again just to have a supplementary insight from what I refer to as a subject matter e expert could be an added value feature to the show. Hopefully like that. So I'd be really keen to hear your property stories, actually. Uh, I, I have to say, having heard uh, Damien talk about his poltergeist, I'd never heard anything like that before. Um, I'm sure many of us have got stories to tell. We heard about Keith and his bad server, surveyor's experience, and I've had, not necessarily the same as Keith, but I've had difficulty in this respect. Um, and probably the probably slightly bizarre um, story I can share with you is that I did have a tenant who... Or when my agent went round to inspect, noticed that there was only half a sink left in the bathroom. So I don't know where the other half went. <laughs> I don't know how it happened. But yeah, that's the sort of thing that we can find. And apparently they've been living with it for quite a while. So maybe they're only washing half their face or something like that. So do get involved. Share your stories. We'd really love to hear them. Um, now, as usual, the show notes will be on the website with all the links and the references that we've uh, we've been mentioning throughout today's show. So head over to there and uh, and check those out and just drop a comment in there, perhaps. Now, thanks very much for listening and also for getting behind the show. We appreciate that really, really much, <laughs> very much. But for now and until next time on the Property Voice podcast, ciao, ciao. Ciao, ciao. Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.